Welcome to La Corner, La Source's digital show dedicated to the sport and entertainment industry. Every two weeks, we invite a professional to share their experience, background, and challenges. The sport industry moves fast, and having their insights is the best way to keep up to speed. Welcome to La Corner. For the first episode of The Corner International Season 2, we had the pleasure to receive Jason Bieber from the NBA. With him, we discussed the different strategies implemented by the league to engage NBA fans, especially the insights of some of the projects such as the NBA Tom Shots, which made the headlines of 2021. It was an excellent learning opportunity for us to get a better insight into the innovation process of the NBA, which is not afraid to involve all of its collaborators was supported by the top management. We hope you'll enjoy this first episode of the new year and see you next time. Hello everyone and welcome back to one of our episodes on Le Corner podcasts. It's our pleasure today to meet with Jason Bieber coming directly from New York from the NBA. Hi Jason, how are you doing today? Hey JB, doing well. Thank you so much for having me on. And as usual, today we'll have Matt with us uh, as the third person on this podcast. Hi, Matt. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Hi, guys. Great to be with you today. All right. Let's it. Let's start uh, directly in terms like, Jason, we were discussing that, but we usually like to have a quick wrap up of, of the person we have. So we know your, your name. We know your title around growth and innovation uh, strategy at the NBA, but Can you please tell us a bit more in terms of, yeah, uh, maybe education background, a bit your your professional journey and what led you to to go to the NBA, actually? Sure. So I um, so I grew up in New York um, and so, um, you know, went to NYU, spent some time there um, and then decided to join consulting, a consulting firm out of college. So joined Accenture doing strategy consulting focused on uh, financial services, so very different than the sports industry and never really considered a career in sports, was was always a big sports fan and basketball fan growing up, but never made the connection and really thought about the possibility of, of turning that into a, into a job. Um, and so, um, you know, I spent six years at Accenture, was traveling way too much, liked liked my job but didn't love financial services and which which industries finance financial services financial services I, I did a lot of work in kind of the commercial banking space a bunch of mergers and acquisitions um and kind of post merger and acquisition strategy and you know i thought joining at a college financial services would mean a lot of time in new york spent a ton of time kind of across the u.s with kind of small regional banks helping them with mergers so a lot of monday through thursday traveling and then back home for the weekends and, um, you know, was getting tired of that and, and found this role at the NBA and really was able to combine the strategy and innovation type work mm-hmm. that I love doing with a, with a passion that I have in, for sports. Was it, was it a bit of a, of a personal, just asking out, out of curiosity, like you mentioned traveling a lot, was it because also at some point you wanted to maybe stay a bit longer in New York, maybe travel a bit less, or was it more for... I mean, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just asking you. Or, or was it more like, okay, the NBA that sounds interesting as well. Uh, maybe new, new vertical, new industry. It, it, it was a combination of both. So I joined the NBA in 2018. That time, um, I just had had my my first kid. So it was now now a three and a half year old. So definitely did not want to be gone Monday through Thursday. Uh, my wife's a doctor. She was in residency. So didn't didn't make sense for us both to be in those roles. So I was looking for um, more local jobs. I actually remember I went for an interview at a bank here in their strategy role the same day I had my NBA interview. Um, and their case study for me was how to grow their foreign exchange business in Latin America. And then I came to the NBA and the interview was how do we grow basketball in India? And, you know, very similar questions in many ways, but just such a more interesting topic to me. So it was definitely a combination of just the right time for me to do something more local mm. plus the opportunity at the NBA and being able to combine. You, you are in good hands here. You have two dads. Uh, Matt has way more experience than I do, but Mikey is only one year. He, he's got way more experience, but we fully understand you on, on that move. Don't, don't worry on that. 
And actually on what you just said, it's fun to same questions, two different businesses, but you, you didn't mention that you, you were a Knicks or, or Nets fans or anything like that. So it was not really the passion that made you choose the NBA, right? Or, or was it, or was it like maybe the sport in general or? Yeah. So, so definitely a, a huge basketball fan. Um, okay. I grew up as a Knicks fan, watched every game. Um, but I would say a huge sports fan in general. Um, and, you know, um, definitely any sport that's on, any competition, I love watching, love playing. Never played competitively or was all that good at sports, but uh, always loved playing. So definitely a passion of mine also. Mm, okay. And uh, before we jump right in, for me, it's like you mentioned a bit of Accenture uh, and your role. Can, can we deep dive a little bit into that in terms of like, I guess it was business schools. I mean, the NYU is quite it's quite renowned, the MBA there, I guess, as well uh, for our listeners. But what what did you learn in Accenture? Was it like the process or being like, we, we have a bit of the same here in Europe where you do like top schools, kind of Ivy League, then you, you do some kind of a, of the big four just to be a good professional and then you move to your next career. But... Was it a bit different or what, what, what was, what was it all about in Accenture for you? Yeah. I, I mean, in terms of, of learning, I, I just found that consulting early on in your career gives you exposure to senior leadership at your clients in a way that going to work directly for that company doesn't, um, and gets you, pushes you in front of senior people to present to them, um, and learn about their business really early on in your career. Um, and I would say the biggest skill set that I've learned from it is, you know, I was on short-term projects, jumping around to new projects every three to six months and just being thrown into industries that and problems I didn't know anything about and having to learn about them really quickly and then try to confidently present on them and have an opinion on them just applies so well to what I do now of trying to explore different areas for growth, learn about them really quickly um, and try to become as much of an expert as I can be in them um, as quickly as possible. Okay. Well, what, I I find, uh, what I find very interesting, uh, Jason, is when I compare the, the culture in you know in US sports and organization, um, you can tell that within within the uh, the staff of um, the, the NBA's, NFL, or you know any any governing bodies on your side of the pond, there's a lot of diversity in terms of professional background. Uh, probably you know a bit more than uh, than than in Europe, uh, and I'm sure uh, I'm sure JB can testify with Thomas UEFA. It seems like something you know. Uh, I don't know if it's specifically at the NBA or the other organization, uh, organization as well. That you know, from from a um, HR perspective, that they're, they're really trying to source talent from a lot of diverse backgrounds. Is, is that definitely something you see? And how do you think that impacts then? Um, uh, your 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 day to day job does it make the organization better to your eyes because just people have just more knowledge of what I think than just the subject they're actually going to work on. Yeah, I mean it's it's a huge focus for us, um, and I would probably say one of the most important things in terms of us being able to be successful and to innovate. And so, specifically for my team, if we're focused on growth areas and innovation for the NBA, having a team that has diverse backgrounds and experiences. Um, having some inter international experience, um, growing up in different backgrounds. It's just really important to be able to connect with the MBA in a different way uh, and explore different ideas. So um, I would say diversity of background, diversity of thought in terms of, of how they com come to think about things is really important to us and, and really important to us being successful. Yeah, I fully on, agree on that one. Matt. I think it's it's one of the also main differences in terms of rights holders, but the franchises and, and the leagues, how they are also recruiting um, and the diversity of background is just insane compared to what we have in Europe. But you mentioned also one thing, Jay, um, prior was the um, the connection or how you've been navigating during your time at Accenture with C-levels, so with, with top executives. I was wondering if I, if I go a bit now into the, the NBA and, and your role, uh, and you mentioned the interview, I was thinking um, recently with, with Stern, but today with Adam, uh, was it part of your, 
of the reasons as well in terms of like, you know, top, top executives having a vision, being like fully innovative and pushing the boundaries and every staff to actually think differently, to be innovative, to be tech savvy and all of that. Was, was it part of the of the decision making process or is it something that you've seen since since your arrival in, in 2018? Yes to all those questions. So um, <laughs> definitely part of my decision-making process, definitely part of the NBA as a whole and the culture we have, right? And, and you correctly mentioned, starting with David and definitely continuing with Adam, there is just a push to always challenge the status quo, to always push the boundaries and try new things to deliver a better fan experience. And um, I think that kind of permeates the entire company and, and makes my job a lot easier, right? And so for me, taking a role on the strategy team and the innovation team um, and having um, executives and leaders like David and Adam that are supportive of that and pushing that um, allows me to do my job. Um, and I would say David and Adam, for sure, all of our executives, if you look at our team governors um, and how innovative and creative they are, both with their NBA teams and in whatever respective fields they operate in, um, I think mm -hmm. we're set up in a way that really allows us um, to push innovation. So it was a huge part of my decision and also a huge part of um, why I've enjoyed the role so much since I've been here. Okay. So what's the, um, it's very interesting that because the vision is definitely there and I think it's part of the DNA when you think and be in the world of sports, you, you definitely think innovation in many ways, whether this is the rules or the way it's produced, you know, what you do with social media, but from a, from a, a structural perspective, you know, how, how day to day, how, how does the, the, NBA make sure the vision actually delivers operationally. Um, what's the what's the strategy to making sure that you know that sort of drips from the top to everyone and especially your team? Yeah. So, uh, like I said, because we have this culture of innovation um, and everyone pushing innovation to kind of grow the league's business, it 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 makes my job significantly easier and allows me to kind of coordinate across the NBA. Um, to push innovation. So I would say we take a decentralized approach to innovation. So every employee at the NBA is empowered and encouraged to push innovation. Um, and I would say that's... On this, on this, Jason, so, sorry to interrupt. I'm, I'm thinking because I had a similar role at UEFA and I was like, I love the way the NBA is decentralized and having its own role. But is it something like, how do you make that happen? Is it that you give them like a 20% of their time on their own project or or how, how does that translate? Just like Matt was saying, how does that cascade down and how does that translate into your your daily job? Are you incentivized to do it? Is it, is it part of your bonus scheme or is it part of your, of your time that you can spend on specific projects? How does that work? Um, so, no, I, I don't think it's directly incorporated in, in any of the ways that, that, that you kind of mentioned, it's more just the culture and the, the DNA of the NBA. Mm -hmm. So nice. in your expectations of your job, you are expected to innovate and push the boundaries. When you're working on a strategic project that might be more short term, you're encouraged to look at, are there other ways we should do things? Um, should we change things to better engage fans and, and grow the NBA? So it's, it's, it's hard to kind of pull it out and say, we do this one thing that helps us with innovation. It is really, and you started with it with, with coming from Adam, it's it's really in the DNA and expected as part of every job. Um, mm. And then what, what my team does is because we're fully dedicated and focused on strategic growth projects and innovation is dive in with employees and other groups to kind of help them generate their ideas and push them forward. Um, and, you know, we're a team of, of six people, um, so relatively small. Um, and so we are kind of able, because everyone's pushing innovation to have a much broader reach and really pick and choose some places in, around the NBA to kind of work with different business units, different owners of initiatives, mm. push them forward. Um, and so I, I think that that's one thing that, that really helps us. Um, and the, the, the other thing that I, that I didn't mention earlier, um, when we talk about Adam and, and our governors is also our players, right? And so... I think that's something you see with the NBA is how much our players are innovating, um, how much they're they're kind of pushing boundaries in, in business and in other areas and, and really pushing us as well. And that partnership with the players um, and being able to work together on things like that, I think, is also 
really part of, of what makes us successful in this space. Okay. Yeah, for the players, I will keep it for for another time. But I wanted to 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 jump back on what you just said on, on the your role of your team. You're only six, but would it be fair to to say that you're kind of an internal consultancy uh, within the NBA, where your colleagues can pick up your brain and and the ones of your colleague on, on this kind of strategic project they have, so that you can better help them in terms of. Uh, being innovative or, or addressing the situation in a, in a new way. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think okay. we're able to to kind of dive into different projects and 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 work with them and and in in a very similar to way that consulting firms do with the, their clients. Obviously, we you know sit next to them every day. Or um, obviously, with with COVID, that that has changed a bit over time. But we're able to um, work really closely with with all those colleagues and, and kind of um, advise them and help them work through those. So, so very similar to a consulting firm. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I, I think like when you know the, yeah, the level of maturity, but also the recognition the NBA has within the sport ecosystem and even beyond in terms of being innovative, I guess you are, you are in an advanced model in terms of how that works and how you operate and, having every employee having this as like having almost skin in, in the game for for innovation uh, is something like remarkable uh, within the sports industry which, which sometimes is a is a bit more traditional or, or conservative Matt you, yeah. you wanted to, to add something yeah one of the things that strikes me and again this is you know very much a view from where I see so you know from outside your organization uh, Jason but it feels like one of the things that you were able to crack at the NBA is uh, innovation became something that is literally across the board. So it's like a horizontal approach to innovation. Like you you, you don't see in a silo vertically uh, in the next to others, just sales or marketing or whatever. It really sort of goes through every single other department and that, that becomes part of the culture. And I think this is where lots of organizations in the sports industry worldwide struggle. Like they sort of set up this innovation team as they set up any other, you know, department in the business. But because you do that, then you create boundaries, you know, with, with the rest of the business where, in fact, innovation, you know, it's not only a product, it's, or, it's not only a new rule. It's it's actually, you know, how do you impact processes within the organization as well? So can you, would you say this is, this is how you work, like, you know, across, across everyone else's world? Yes, uh, 100%. And you, you use the term product, which which I think is a good one because we're not you know, just trying to innovate a specific part of our product. And, you know, you can look at Apple and, and other technology companies with R&D groups trying to innovate on, on specific things. We're trying to innovate across all areas of our business. And we could talk about specific examples, but there's, you know, things like changes to our season structure and a playing tournament, which is very fan facing. There's NBA Top Shop, but there's also things behind the scenes and you know, we, we rolled out a, a venue environmental safety system, which helps um, regulate conditions within arenas, which, you know, people probably don't know about is a very important piece of innovation. Um, and having our facilities team always focused on innovation and how they how they push boundaries and develop new things allows us to roll things like that out, where I think if we had one central team focused on innovation, we wouldn't be able to implement such a broad range of innovative products. Mm. But you mentioned, I mean, I think one of the, the main learnings I had from my, my own personal career is clearly the buying from the top management and having this in, in the DNA, like we were saying, uh, of the organization and of all employees. But uh, given the magnitude, I mean, you mentioned even the competition system or the way you've been delivering even the format in the bubble uh, when, when the pandemic strike, uh, I mean, how do you make sure all employees goes same direction, full speed, full gear? I mean, usually, you know, innovation is a lot about also change management and so reluctance to change. So how, how does that work in terms of like, you, you? it seems for me, it's kind of like you have a magic stick or magic wand where the NBA is, is managing the, the difficulty to actually push back this kind of reluctance to change and having everybody on the same boat, same journey and pushing the boundaries together. So, and that's a bit of the magic formula, I can say. Um, so a, 
a couple of thoughts on that. Well, one is, I think, um, you know, we have our, my team is focused on, on growth strategy and innovation. Um, we have, we're part of a broader team, global strategy, which also helps set company objectives and key results and kind of drive the company and make sure everyone's on the same page, focused on the same areas. And, you know, we tend to innovate within those areas um, on how we push forward and a lot of focus on fan engagement. Um, And so I think there is everyone marching in the same direction in terms of knowing what our objectives are um, and trying to use innovation to help us achieve those objectives. Um, The the other thing I would say is that... um, I think innovation at times seems easy when you look at it from the outside, um, but in reality, things kind of take a lot longer and a lot more work internally to get them through. Um, mm. And so, like you you mentioned, um, the bubble and some of the return to play, and and we implemented a, a play in tournament as part of that, um, which was something that we've been working on season structure changes, and Adam has been um, discussing for a while. Should we change our season? Should we add a play in tournament? Should we do other things? Um, and so that was implemented pretty quickly as we returned to play because it was a necessity coming back um, from our hiatus. And so, um, you know, that seems like something we just went ahead and did. But in reality, that's been discussed at the league level. I think uh, I heard something from way before my time, but from as early as 2009. Right. So I think from the outside in, at times, it looks like we came up with a situation. We brought this playing tournament and it and it happened pretty quickly. But I think there's a lot more that goes on behind the scenes. Uh, and uh, sorry, go ahead, James. Go over. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just going to drop here because for the listeners, I'm like, I'm interested to hear directly from you in terms of you mentioned a lot the, the strategic projects, and I've been working myself on the on strategic priorities within a, a rights holder organization in sport. But what, what is it exactly uh, the typical kind of project you get on your desk like every day? Is it how do we grow the fan base in certain territory or is it more fan engagement? Is it, is it more on the grassroots side? Is it the, the competition format? Is it a bit of everything? And then you have to prioritize the list based on the owners or based on the board is in terms of like strategy, I guess you have like a clear roadmap and you have your top three items that you need to push uh, for all employees. But I was wondering as a six of team within the whole NBA is like, what, what do you have on your desk? How do you prioritize them? And can you give a few examples for, for, the, for the people listening to us in terms of, okay, but what is it exactly that they are working on? Yeah, it's, it, it's a bit of everything. So it's, <laughs> it's really hard to say, like, this is a typical project. I, I would say they are all fan first and focused on fan engagement and how we deliver a better product to our fans. Um, and so it, it really runs the gamut. And, and keep in mind, we also have you know, multiple leagues, right? It's not just the NBA that our team works with. We work with the WNBA, we work with the G League, our esports league, our 2K league, and then most recently our, our Basketball Africa League. Um, and then also work with all the teams across those leagues. So um, it's really broad. And so we can work on on anything from, like I said, season structure and how we make a better live product and things like the playing tournament. Adam has discussed, do we do a mid-season tournament? to new products and has the NBA play in the blockchain space and crypto. And obviously we launched Top Shot, which we could talk more about, but are there other opportunities there um, to things like how do we grow our 2K league and how do we, um, you know, get get deeper into the esports space and use that as a way to test new things and, and kind of attract a younger fan and, and a different fan. So um, it is it is across the board, different projects and, um you know, our team is kind of set up, like I said, on the consulting side to kind of dive into different areas, try to learn about them quickly and help progress them. But how do you, how do you prioritize them? Is it like Adam is coming to you and saying, guys, you focus on 2K or you focus on this mid-season or is it that, okay, we need to have a push on this? Like we can go back to, to Dapper Labs and, and Top Shot that you've, I mean, you, you said it was a long process, but and I know it started, I think, back in 2014. And so we, we just see it now because of the pandemic and everything that happened. And actually, it was created way before. But how, how do you prioritize and make sure that's something you need to focus on? That, that's and, really and something I'm interested in. If I can just add uh, something to, to Jabe's question is, uh, is revenue something that, you know, to get into the mix when when we talk about um, about prioritization? Because obviously... 
being responsible for growth, I'm sure that's you know that's a discussion you you have. So is you know is revenue ROI something that you know makes a, a task or a project bump at the top of the priority list? Yeah, yeah. So revenue d- definitely is. I wouldn't say it's necessarily at the top of the list. Um, I would say f- fan engagement and and whether we're creating new experiences and ways for fans to engage with the NBA um, is is definitely kind of top of the list and what's our what's our kind of north star and, and what we're doing um, and then obviously revenue is is a key factor and i would say more revenue potential than immediate revenue because our group is is more focused on kind of forward-looking things um, and then you know prioritization is is, is challenging um, we don't have a a formal process by which we kind of go in and evaluate different projects it is much more of a collaborative process with our senior leadership team um, with Amy Brooks, who leads our group, to kind of work with Adam, work with our team governors to kind of um, try to clearly identify where we should be focused. And then a lot of it is just our team trying to figure out where we think there's the biggest growth opportunity and, and pushing to to allow us to work on those areas. So um, I don't have a great answer to that question. It's it's much more ad hoc. And 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 um, I would say the, the thing that allows us to do it well is the communication with senior leadership. No, I mean, for me, I mean, I'm asking because I'm having been on the other side of the table, I'm quite amazed by the capacity of the NBA to always be a first mover or to be always at the forefront, whatever the topic. And and that might be because you are fan first, fan centric, and you put the fan at the core of everything you do and you are not. Just like you mentioned, maybe it's not revenue, direct revenue streams, like which leads any decision. It's more like, future thinking in terms of like the future opportunities and what, what will come medium and long-term rather than the today or instantly in terms of like income. So that might be also like, I think that's a, that's a good answer. But uh, you, you mentioned Top Shot and that, that's for me a good example is like how come, again, new, new world uh, NFTs, no one heard a lot about it. I remember I, I used to work on blockchain back in 2018, but you guys, there's something happening and the NBA is still leading the way. How, how come the partnership with Dapper? Can you tell us a bit more of the story behind it so that even like our listeners understand a bit the process and how this come to fruition in terms of like being a reality today and being at the forefront of what the industry is looking at? Yeah. So um, we, we, we have an internal process where we run innovation campaigns. Um, and th- those are set up to kind of help our employees generate ideas and, and bring new ideas to the table to present to senior leadership. Um, and so we get hundreds of submissions, um, choose kind of finalists from that group through a committee, and then um, the finalists present to Adam and our senior leadership team their ideas to push them forward. Um, and so... Uh, in 2018, one of our prompts was, what new products and services can the NBA offer to our fans? Um, and, you know, only 1% of our fans are able to actually attend NBA games in person. How do we attract a broader group of fans and allow them new ways to engage with the NBA? Um, and so one of the ideas from a, a cross-functional group um, led by someone from our, from our um, general partnerships team um, focused on blockchain technology and how we could use blockchain technology to engage with fans there were a bunch of different ideas in there, but I think that the first one was digital collectibles. Um, mm. And interestingly, one employee was. Um, he, he, he must be. He must be a huge fan. He must be a collector himself or herself, uh, and uh, so, he must be a huge fan in 2018 to come up as an entrepreneur within the NBA and say, "Guys, you have to go into digital collectible." He must or she must be like completely geeky about it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so we had, we had a few people who were and, and and that's the beauty of right a decentralized approach to innovation where everyone's pushing it because I would have never come up with that idea. I, um, so this employee was very into crypto kitties and I cannot explain what crypto kitties are in a good way. But, um, you know, NFT versions of, of cats, um, which was actually Dapper Labs first product. Um, and so uh, they submitted this idea. There was buy-in from senior leadership to, to pursue it and explore it. Um, and then quickly a conversation with, with Dapper and our um, GP team worked with Dapper to develop the concept. Um, and so this started in 2018 and, and roll it out. And I think um, 
you know, the, the, the blockchain focus is, is interesting because obviously that's part of it. But it's a lot more about how do you create new ways for fans to engage with the NBA and, you know, the, the, the combining of NFTs and crypto plus kind of the collectible space plus the pack openings. And you see kind of all these physical trading cards, pack openings being a big thing and unboxing, right? It's kind of the, the perfect combination of a bunch of different trends and things fans like to do and a way for them to kind of really own a piece of the NBA. So um, started as an innovation campaign in, in 2018 and has kind of developed from there. I was, I was going to say, uh, yeah, you know, from a vision perspective, obviously very impressive. And, and I think, where where it gets interesting for the NBA with Top Shot and with others that do it now with you know other product is the fact that you know in, in the gaming experience for example you 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 you've got your fans that are going to give their attention to a different product you know gaming is sort of taking you to something that is not the real game of basketball so maybe the attention you 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 want to get from your fans is going to be diluted but you know by uh, by others and other products so. Yeah, you know, at the NFT and the collectibles and, and other things, I think is a great leverage to actually keep people engaged with the reality of the game and with the organization. Um, and I think this is why it's been instant success is because you feel like you know even when there isn't a game, people want to want to stay in touch with with the NBA and the teams, and and that's a great innovative way to do it. Um, I actually, you know, we've, we've been talking about the fans quite a bit. And there's one thing, again, my perception might be wrong because it's a, it might be a very European sort of way I was looking at it. One of the biggest barriers there is to innovation in, um, in Europe is, and, and in sports um, is whenever you come up with something new and uh, JB can testify, uh, the, first, the first reaction of the fan is we don't like it. We like we like the sports the way it's always been. We like the sports we we know um, and we knew once we were a kid. Um, when we were kids, sorry. Um, it seemed like the accept you know the acceptance from your fans whenever something new is is pushed to them is much better and much higher than it would be um, for other type of fans on other sports. Did you do you have that perception as well, uh, or do you think she's you know um, this is just us thinking it's better elsewhere? Yeah, I, I I don't know how it necessarily compares to 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 other leagues um, and and other properties, but I mean obviously we do have a a large portion of our fan base who's young and tech savvy. I mean over the past decades, a lot of our focus has been on on social media and growing our social media following, and you know, we have over over two billion followers and and engaging through kind of um, social media definitely leads us to have a young fan base and, and a more tech savvy fan base. Um, and so I think our fans are, are open to change. And I think, you know, there's always going to be um, traditionalists and, and fans who, 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 who don't like change as much and new things being introduced and those who do. And that's, that's part of what we have to balance, um, especially as it comes to changes closer to our game. Um, now, I think when you talk about Top Shot and, and Home Courts and other product we launched, which we could talk more about, but like, as it comes more to products that fans can choose to engage with or not, I think that's where we're also able to to push the boundaries a bit more. Yeah, just before we move on, maybe to home court, and I have a few other ones because it's actually we, we could be piling them in terms of like initiatives and product released in different spaces and areas where actually we, we're seeing the traction and the, the fan first uh, motto that you were referring to. But what what I what I'm still amazed by in what you just said is like there was one guy at the NBA who was fan of Crypto Kitties and that turned into Dapper Labs. And for those of you who have been trying the NBA Top Shot, I have one question for you on that product: is how come? What was it like? Did you make focus group or did you do like your first launch, uh, which was unofficial or anything? Because I remember when I tried it the first time and everything, it was the first time that I could use my credit card, that it was not necessarily on a on a crypto wallet, that I was completely different from a, a pure experience. And clearly, I think crypto is confusing for most of the fans, like the vast majority of fans does not necessarily have a, a, a crypto wallet or even a digital wallet or whatever. And so that was the first time that I could go and just put my name like last name, first name, credit card, boom, that's done. Is it something that you have worked closely with Dapper in terms of like making it more accessible 
or or, or was it uh, yeah? For for sure. So um, number one, we we launched it in kind of a closed beta to to test things out and, and work out a lot of the the potential issues with it. But in terms of the accessibility you mentioned, I mean that's. Uh, complete credit to, to Dapper and and Adrian O'Keefe from our from our GP team, who who like I said, the focus of this was not necessarily crypto. It was providing a new fan experience, and we wanted to make that accessible to all fans. Um, and so, being able to kind of log on, pay with your credit card, um, you know, I think there are probably people who engage with Top Shot um, and and kind of don't even know it's an NFT or don't even know that's crypto based. It's, it's possible to like log on and do that. So I think, you know, tons of credit to, 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 to Dapper and to our um, partnership team who kind of helped pull that together um, and realize that we should focus on the fan experience of it and not make it necessarily hard for fans to access. So, yeah, for, for me, the, the main also beyond the crypto kitties joke and all of that, I think, what I'm hearing here discussing with you is like, if you want to be successful, you need to be fan centric, fan first, and then everything you do will be related to that. And then that will make you uh, successful. Yep. But you mentioned a few times, all fans, all fans. Um, and we, we mentioned Top Shop, uh, you just mentioned Home Court. And I would encourage anybody listening to us to go to uh, Home Court, who is like an app that allows any kid actually to play better basketball. And now even home court is is going even wider to promote physical activity to all kids outside. So it's it goes even beyond uh, the pure basketball playing performance side of things. It's how you get kids active by playing basketball, which is which is amazing using AI and the new tech in terms of like how do you incentivize and how do you bring this kind of new experience to to the kids. But there's also recently. Um, on the fan experience side of things like Buzzer that we know well as well, where, you know, you enable the uh, the fans to actually acquire a portion of the game or just to watch the, the last quarter or anything like that. So for, for everything you've been like releasing recently, it seems that there's a, a huge or strong focus on the on the younger generation uh, as it seems that their sports, sports conception is, is changing for sure. So I, I wanted to hear you a bit on that. Is there a specific uh, really focus on the younger generation and on this fan-first uh, basis? How do you address the, the Gen Z and potentially the Gen Alpha? Or or is it more like because it's more medium long-term, you're, you're focusing on this new product that obviously attracts more of these kind of demographics? Uh, th- there is definitely a huge focus on growing our next generation of fans. Um, and I would say that takes two main sides. One is youth and just how do we how do we um, attract kids to engage with the NBA in a bunch of different ways and younger generations are engaging with products in, in very different ways. And so trying to see how, how we could best do that from the NBA perspective. Um, and the, the other area of growth of our next generation of fans, I think, is international, right? And the NBA has historically been very focused on international growth. And I think, you know, some of the things you mentioned around home court um, and, and, and others to allow our fans from around the world to engage with the NBA um, in different ways. So I would say international and youth is definitely um, a big focus for us. Yeah, seems, I mean, seems relevant and I mean, quite fair with everything you, you've just mentioned. Is there, I mean, without going into potentially too strategic or too confidential project, but are there big, not big plans, but are there projects that are currently taking place within the office in New York in terms of like potentially breaking new barriers or being new breakthrough in terms of what will be the next gen of viewership of like potentially engagement? Uh, we know without putting too many buzzwords here, but we know with the blockchain technology that allows you to do more potentially or or to allow the fans to do more and to reward them more and so that it's not just a one-way street. Is, is, is there more things to come or or is it something that you're still navigating and, yeah, and I, you're I think not it's, really sure? No, I think it's both. I, I think there, there's more things to come. There's things we're still navigating. Um, we want to kind of meet fans where they are and, and 
bring them the content they want. And I think that applies to projects we're doing in the blockchain space, like, for example, building on TopShot, right? Like one thing that we're experimenting with now and experimented with during Summer League is if you're actually in an arena for an event or watching an event live on TV, can you get an exclusive um, NFT or moment from that event? So you actually own it and you were there. And so you could take that home with you. And to me, that that's like a really interesting activation. Um, and then, you know, from a content perspective, um, looking at ways we can meet fans where they are um, across all of our channels. And I think the trend more broadly, not tied to sports, just, just for consumers in general is personalization. Um, and so I think, a big focus for us is how do we how do we personalize um, our content for fans and really give them what they need, and that could be, um, you know, different telecasts with different focuses, um, ways to kind of engage our different audience who have different interests and different ways they they engage with sports. Yeah, I, I agree with that one. I think personalization, and I have two others which are um, immersive and also interactive. Uh, experiences so for me that's the winning formula if you are personalized immersive and interactive then that that makes it for the younger generation yep uh, i agree what's your um one of the questions i wanted i wanted to ask was um you know as as we we covered nba is seen you know very much as um the leader when it comes to innovating in sports right so there's lots of organization looking up to to what you guys do in your position, you know, what, uh, where do you get inspired by what, you know, um, if, if, if we consider that you have the responsibility almost to innovate in sports first, uh, where do you get the inspiration? Do you look at other industries or sometimes do you look within the industries, uh, you know, other, um, other players or the organization that, that actually uh, you, can, you can learn from? What's the, um, what's, what's the recipe? Uh, I guess the answer to that is probably everything. Um, and so tying it back to, to Europe a bit, right, as, as we talk about new tournaments and changes to our season structure, um, you know, obviously we look at European soccer and all the different cups there are to compete for um, and different championships for fans to root for as an example and, and ways we could potentially think about um, innovating. Um, as we talk about sponsorship and you know, we rolled out a few years ago our, our jersey patches with, with sponsors on our jerseys. Obviously, mm. um, European soccer and European sports in general were, 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 were kind of using that way before we were. So um, obviously look at other sports properties, um, other industries, look at what our players are doing, look at what our um, team governors are doing in different spaces. Um, and so I think it's really trying to, a big part of my job is trying to monitor what's going on, um, look at what's out there, what trends are there. And I think the hardest part is taking trends that are not directly tied to sports and not directly applicable and trying to think about how we could apply those to sports. Um, and mm -hmm. I know I keep coming back to it, but the, the CryptoKitties example is a great one where I think the connection now seems obvious, but at the time is, is a bit harder to make and um, is exactly kind of the, the thought process we need to continue to innovate. And actually on that one, uh, I mean, I, I really love it because that, that's how you are truly innovative. Actually, it's how you, you can find something which is relevant to your own ecosystem, doesn't look like necessarily relevant to everybody, but who, who for some people can be. And then it's how do you nurture that and apply it to your own ecosystem and reality to make, to make it successful. Um, on that specifically, you know, in terms of like identifying the trends, understanding what's going on, uh, I want to, to to make you talk a little bit about the NBA Launchpad. I know it's a bit different uh, from what you, you do daily. And, uh, you know, we've, like Matt was saying, there has been plenty of other initiatives, La Liga Tech more recently, and, and plenty of other rights holders who are trying more and more to to try to monitor and identify different trends and especially with the early stage market. But I was wondering, is the um, NBA Launchpad initiatives really that focus in terms of like trying also to better understand and future-proof the NBA from the uh, early stage startup worlds in terms of bringing in new tech, new product, new services uh, for you? Yeah, so so Launchpad is a very specific 
program focused on our basketball priorities for the league and, and how we could work with um, startups and, and individuals in that space to help advance those priorities. Uh, I think there's tons of applications for other areas of our business, but Launchpad in particular is led by our league ops team. Um, and, and you know, I think what, what they've done really well, and I think what is really important to innovation is identify really specific problems that they're looking to solve. Um, and so, you know, some of those that they, they rolled out for this year were health and wellness for youth basketball, which is a huge focus for us, um, elite youth player performance, ankle injury prevention, and referee training and development. So to me, those are all kind of very specific areas that we wanted um, for the startup community, for individuals to kind of rally around and, and focus on to help us progress in those areas. Um, mm. So, um, I mean, I think definitely applications broader to our business, but still really early on in Launchpad and, and just started this year, but but so far has been been a big success for us. Yeah, so you, you did the homework in terms of like really identifying the pain points to make sure like you can at least uh, handpick the best solution, but that, that answers which, problems and business needs internally. Which, which, which we didn't talk a lot about when we talked about, you know, innovation and why we're successful, but I do think being able to clearly identify problems and what we're trying to solve for um, is also a key to success. And I think mm. innovation, when you're thinking broadly, um, is a lot harder to, to do and to rally around than when there are specific problems we're trying to solve. Yeah. But do, do you compare yourself, or it's not necessarily comparing yourself to other leagues or other rights holders who do have sometimes some innovative initiatives, but is it like, do you look outside of sports on purpose to try to be always kind of at the cutting edge and, and, and trying to diversify and to bring this kind of fresh air? Or, or do you also sometimes try to compare in terms of what the other American leagues can do or potentially some European rights holders can do? Or, or is it like something you don't necessarily care or focus on and, and you have your own roadmap and you know where you want to go and, and you push the boundaries? Uh, I think, again, I think the answer to that is all of the above, right? Like where mm. we learn from everyone. I think there's some things that we're first to and that we learn from other industries. There's other things that other sports leagues, both in the U.S. and internationally are doing that, that we learn from and adopt. So um, I think it's 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 broad and we're, we're willing to learn from anywhere. Mm. Okay. For, for me, I mean, uh, I have one yeah. last question. Sorry, Matt, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, you know, I, I do have one because, you know, you're very interesting said um, you're willing to learn from, from anywhere. And my question is, does does it include the, the actual players? And, and my question is obviously because that these guys in themselves are global platform and, and that they are the best ambassadors of, uh, of of the game because they actually, you know, play and people want, want, to, uh, want to see them do it. Um, have you ever been in a situation where, uh, a potential innovation actually came from a player um, because of an idea he had and a, an investment he made. Have you ever included players in you know in the reflection of one of the innovation or ideas you developed? What's the uh, what's the relationship we have with uh, with them? Yeah, so definitely work in in tandem with our players on a ton of different innovation efforts, um, and so um, there's examples from. You know, we rolled out a score target ending um, at All Star, um, which was really successful. Which was an idea from a from a player to implement. Um, our players are involved in a lot of the the other things we're, we're we're doing in terms of you know involved in NBA Top Shot, active in that. Um, you know, you see separate from the NBA, but a ton of our players involved in the crypto space and Web three and pushing boundaries there. Um, and so, I think it definitely allows us. To, to push boundaries and to do that with our players. And they have, like you said, their own global brands. And um, I think that relationship has been really helpful in terms of helping us innovate. But is it, I, I guess you, you will tell me it's a combination of both, but is it is it the players today that are coming to you? It feels like, you know, potentially in the past, it was rather the league itself, you know, that were, kind of leading the way and asking also like bringing the players alongside because after the, the athletes were, they understood the need, they understood everything. 
uh, it seems that today it's it's a way more like it can be both the league but also the player that can be really proactive and coming to you and even now having their own investment fund or their, their own investment portfolio like being very proactive and coming to the league and and proposing new things yeah a hundred percent and i would say we do a lot of brainstorming together um coming up with ideas and things to change and it's very much not us taking fully baked ideas to players and us generating to them together. So I would say, you know, you ask about about why the NBA is successful in innovation. I would say that relationship is definitely a, a key component of it. Yeah, I was about to say that you are lucky because once you have these kind of global brands and these kind of ambassadors all aligning and understanding that it's it's in their own benefits as well for the game, but for everyone and that they they push and they help you push the boundaries and bringing these new like ideas and projects. That's that's really like a great win. So well done on that one. Uh, my, I would have one last question is like for anybody who is listening to us and maybe working in the sport industry at, at different levels, being podcasters or even agencies or, or sponsors or anything like that is what, what would be the piece of advice or the pieces of advice that, that you would give them in terms of like how you can better integrate innovation as part of your own project or global strategy uh yeah i mean what what would it be if you had one or two advices to to give them um yeah not an easy question huh no no it's not (laughs) i mean i mean just to i guess it kind of reiterates some of the stuff that we covered on this like to me, having top-down buy-in and have the people that you're working with kind of be bought into innovation and on board with pushing the status quo is just essential. Um, and then I think just be open-minded, try to learn from everything, I think is something we definitely do here. Um, and I think that allows us to kind of pull in new ideas um, and try to encourage everyone on your teams and who you work with to focus on innovation because that diversity of perspective and people in different roles thinking of innovation, I think, is what really leads to, to, to new ideas. So I would say top-down buy-in and just open-mindedness and encouraging innovation from everyone. Love it. Love it. What a way to wrap up the, the podcast. I mean, yeah. I could mic drop Agreed. everything and say like, thank <laughs> you, bye. Ciao, guys. Um, we, we're done here. Uh, no, more seriously, thank you, Jason. Thank you for the time. That was really like I was I was writing down on the notes. It's uh, really loved the podcast. Uh, really insightful. So uh, thank you for the time and 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 sharing that with us. It's uh, it's great. Seriously. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you guys, and uh, we'll be in touch. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoy it as much as we love creating them. If you like the episode, feel free to comment, rate, and share with people around you. You can visit our website www.lastsource.io to learn more about our activities. You will discover a wide range of articles and can subscribe to our newsletter to receive the latest tech and sports news in your mailbox every month. Stay tuned for new episodes. Le Corner.